Welcome to the Art Fight Podcast. Uh, I'm here with the legendary Joe Nolan, of course. Uh, Joe, how are you? Hey, Brian. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm talking directly into the mic. Yes, thank you. And then we have a fantastic guest today that I think that you would be more prepared to do an adequate uh, introduction for because you are, you know, kind of the universal uh, holder of all art knowledge. Uh, well, I recently uh, pitched one of Sissabon's shows, and I said that she was one of my favorite painters in Middle Tennessee. So that's probably the best introduction. And Sissabon, I'm mm-hmm. going to just politely ask you to okay. tell me how to pronounce your last name, because I'm afraid I'm going to say it wrong. My maiden name? Yeah. <laughs> um, Pudavong? Pudavong. Pudavong. Sissabon Pudavong. Mm-hmm. It kind of rings. Yeah, yeah. I like it. It's good. Yeah. And, you, and, and uh, one of the reasons you're on right now is because I, when I was recently talking about you to all these important editors in the art world i was talking about your new show that is currently hanging at tinny and it's going to be hanging through march is that right uh the end of february just the end of february okay Mm -hmm. good well we got you on just in time right yeah thank you for having me (laughs) yeah we're yeah happy to have you and that's and that's tinny contemporary that's correct in nashville Uh uh-huh yeah downtown run uh the avenue of the arts yeah i always like to say it's on fifth avenue (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's right uh just down from maybe you've heard of it right right uh-huh that's awesome so and then uh how would how would you categorize or characterize tenny uh relative for those that are not in nashville right i mean is there some sort of a um a likeness that it might have to i don't know some particularly like a new york or la type of place or is there anything unique uh that you feel like you could you could spell out for listeners and be like it's this kind of space or is it just like a solid contemporary art space i'll let you answer that oh okay i thought you might answer (laughs) that i can answer it too i've got i got something to say (laughs) i i've been with susan tenney gosh i like to say like 10 years now and um she's been wonderful she's a great advocate um she's one of those uh gallery owners who allow me to do pretty much whatever I want to do. I would say if you had to categorize her, she might be targeting, I feel as though more kind of abstract work. Um, I know she doesn't have a ton of sculptors um, in in her list of artists, uh, but in a sense that, but she's very open in terms of she'll have some very classical realism as well. And you're asking about the New York scene. I was just in New York City um, in December with my family. And, you know, she fits in within the niche of some of the ones I've seen on Chelsea and and things like that as well. And in the art district. And, you know, as um, I think any gallery owner, if you're really saying you're a gallery owner, you're, you're really marketing towards people who are wanting to you know, buy your work, right? She's she's not a museum, you know, but but she allows for someone like me to create works that could be maybe possibly fit in within the museum parameter because I don't always think my work is always sellable, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't uh, know if that answers your question. No, I think that's a I think that's a good answer. You think that's a good answer? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know it's kind of like, like a, a sort of a really kind of goofy sort of one hundred and one sort of you know I'm just trying to create a place of sort of orientation for people because yeah. uh, there, especially you know, people outside of Nashville who don't understand the different niches of uh, the gallery scene. Yeah, or just anybody because I think I don't think that people even realize how much of a consideration that is, and you know we'll get into this mm-hmm. more. But for to mm-hmm. have anybody that's championing your work, right. irrespective of outcomes, right. uh, for a long period of time, yes. that alone is a huge deal so right. for it to have an incubation mm-hmm. sort of quality about it is i think a, a bit of a unique thing it's not a you know mm-hmm. as alienating perhaps as some other places can Correct. be yeah. right and yeah. i would say my my you know when you ask that question in my brain i think about the fact that at least i want to say more than once i've put tinny 
in the Nashville scenes best of, you know, year end issue, uh, strictly just for being the best downtown gallery. And every time I've done that, even if I've only done it once in print, I've definitely done it at least once. But every time I think about that idea regarding tinny it's always because i think they've always done an exceptional job of being a big beautiful expensive not uh you know i mean i'm talking about like it's expensive to be a gallery on fifth avenue in nashville tennessee right Right, right. and therefore all the galleries that define that neighborhood are uh commercial galleries just by definition because Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be there if they Mm -hmm. weren't but that said i find that tinny always does a good job of balancing shows that are are you know maybe clearly more commercial shows Mm -hmm. with shows that are not Mm -hmm. and tinny has long had uh a smaller gallery in the back of the space that almost always is given over to like very experimental stuff i mean in you know stuff installation art that that would be almost impossible to purchase in some way things like that so she's always done a great job of being like savvy about the business Mm -hmm. and uh, and use that to leverage space for experimental, interesting contemporary art. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then also, I guess we should just also make note uh, really quickly that, that you are an educator as well. I am. And mm-hmm. so... Um, uh, you know, how's that going? <laughs> it's, it's, it's busy. Um, but yeah, I, I've been with um, Middle Tennessee State University for 16 years. And so I run the painting area. It's mm-hmm. me, me or me, I tell my students. Um, <laughs> so I haven't really left. I straight out of grad school, got that job and, you know, um, established roots and I have two girls. Mm-hmm. And so we are, we're not Where'd going anywhere. Go I went to um, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, which oh, is okay, a huge right. graduate program. Mm-hmm. Um, that really focuses on teaching. But Mm -hmm. um, I would have to say that the grad students were amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, so, like, I know a ton of them that are out there, educators and artists as well, which um, for being a community that is a bit further away from Chicago, you would think that you wouldn't have that type of, you know, Mm -hmm. interaction. But yeah, I really had a great experience at SIUC. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But in terms of, sorry, in terms of being a professor, yeah. well, for instance, I just had two crits back to back from eight to two 30 mm-hmm. and went short home for critiques. and yeah, critiques. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she left a trail of crying students I all did. the way well, from Murfreesboro to Nashville. <laughs> right. <laughs> just uh, I, I will have to admit this week has been a bit rough for some of the students. There are some tears, but I always like to say it's not my fault. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it actually crit was, it was pretty good. But yeah. And so, and then specifically, what are you, what classes are you, are you teaching? I, I teach the upper division classes. So students who want to take painting one, they go through Melissa Newman, um, who's a wonderful art teacher, professor. And so, and then uh, the ones who are taking painting two to painting six, they get again, me, me or me. And so the ones who are interested in grad school or, you know, an extension of that, whether that's art therapy or a conservationist. um, Yeah. So I'm they get me. Yep. Uh, when, I, when I was in my mid thirties, I mm-hmm. decided to go to school for fun. And I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just cause I'm an idiot. And, uh, <laughs> I never really finished my undergrad. Uh, I still haven't, but I had a lot of fun. So, uh, <laughs> but I went to city college in New York. Oh, and, okay. Uh-huh. And, uh, I took like an intro to painting yes. sort of one-on-one uh-huh. type of course because like for me, I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't, I, I'm not good at those right. things, but I'm a huge and devout appreciator right. and have, you know, a lot of 
paintings, I would say, have changed my life deeply in very meaningful ways for uh-huh. other things that I do. But uh, but the point is just that I worked so hard in that class because I was so terrible at it. And my professor <laughs> did not. She mm-hmm. did. She hated me. <laughs> she Never. hated me. And I worked so hard. I went there on Don't all the Every bit of open studio time that there was, whatever. I mean, I'm schlepping on the subway yeah. on these canvases and yeah. walking through the oh my rain goodness. and up the hills yeah. in Harlem and all this right. to, I, to do this thing. Because I was really like, it was. I, to me, it was just an interesting test of how bad can you know that you are at something, but still try <laughs> in vain to do it anyway, and right. then where do you get? Right. But So what I did was, right. I'm wondering if you have like experiences like this with students, you know, where it's like, I, uh, you know, in the one-on-one, you sort of, you're like, here's your, you got to do a still Correct. life and then you do an abstract right. and then you do a whatever. Right. And so I had produced such a high volume of work. Everybody had done one painting for each assignment. I had done like four or five paintings for each assignment. And then when it was time for the critiques mm-hmm. and the professor walking around to grade things, she would walk, she would walk around. She'd be like, well, where's yours? Which one is yours? I'm like, they're all mine. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, I'm like, just pick the one that's going to get the best grade. <laughs> and then evaluate that uh, one. That's the know? one. And then the class critiques, like I could never do anything right. But they always, the kids all thought that my stuff was really interesting. <laughs> but that's just because it was so wrong uh, but, but I had a lot of fun with it and oh the other thing that really pissed her off was that at the beginning of the class they tell you like you got to go get all these paints you know right and you got to get the you know the very specific it's like 20 I didn't have any money I'm like, like a, like a book syllabus but. and I knew enough about painting already that I was like I can save a lot of money here. I'm just going to get a giant tube of red, a giant tube. Like, I'm just going to get like red, what was it? Red, yellow, yes. blue, and yes. white and black. Yeah. The primaries. The primaries. Prior, right. Yeah. Theoretically, I can, I, 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 in my mind, I was like going to the Costco for colors. You know what right. I mean? Like, how do I just get like the most latitude for color? Anyway, long story short, uh, I um, pissed her off because I didn't follow the instructions yeah. from the get go. And yeah. she didn't, she was not flattered at all that I was already prepared to mix all my own colors. And do you make the kids do the thing where you have a grid and you got to mix all the well, gradations we, and all that? We just did an assignment in my painting two class that I posted on the MTSU painting on Instagram and they are restricted to three colors. So they have exactly what you just said, a red, a yellow and blue, and they actually get white. So they don't get black. So they only get four, three colors and you know, the white and then they um we created a they had to take 10 images of themselves and then i used we i decided to use the pixelator um app and so trying to incorporate a little technology which they know all about but i thought it was kind of fun so Is they like the rasterization type of thing yeah but it actually if i took a photo of you it actually pixelize you and you can vary in terms of de- degree of which mm-hmm. you can pixelate it but I see. but the students took a photo of that and then they um printed out the pixelation of um their faces and they had to hand it out to everyone and then they basically um like minecraft they had to spot every color so and they actually turned out pretty well was uh, and so allowing them to spot the colors but then it became something else was you know was very satisfying versus just creating these you know sample you know colors and you're spotting them you're hitting the intensities yeah. um but yeah so we do we do quite a bit do of that there's initially. There's a value to being like a, lo- a long time established, you know, uh, artist that's sort of constantly 
running back through the fundamentals all the time? Do you find that that's actually of value or is it something that you're so sick of that you just want to pull your hair out? <laughs> well, you know, the saying is you don't have to be a an amazing drawer to be an artist, right? I mean, you have a lot of artists out there who hate drawing or, or do not care for the classicals. Um, I think if you're, I've taken many workshops with classical painters because I've always kind of wanted to, you know, paint better and teach my students as well, even though I don't directly do it all the time. I mean, in my work, I have with the acrylic painting and some of the larger um, painting, they are fairly representational um, in a sense. Uh, but in terms of that kind of, I call that nerdy talk with yeah. with painters yeah, because, you know, talk. yeah, well, yeah. you know, you're like, is it a lizard and crimson or is it yeah. cadmium red? You know, I mean, there's so many variations, but one of the things going back to what you asked is one of the things my students learned from the three colors and, and the one white was they're like, you know, I really can get a wide range of colors just by being able to eliminate all these other special colors because you can't always hit certain colors because they're prefabricated and they're later yeah. on. And so some of the classical palettes, I mean, you really have to learn to, is it a low key? Is it a high key? Is it, you know, so it, it does teach them. I was like to say in my painting two classes, I like for them to learn how to feed themselves before they become Picasso. Yep. And so if somebody is to ask them, you know, paint a portrait, at least they somewhat have some foundations for mm -hmm. it, foundation for it. Yeah. So, and, uh, what are the, what are the, what is the early work that inspired you to even start painting? I oh, mean, like, you, God, th things, you know, like what was your sort of Led Zeppelin? Yeah. Well, you know? I, <laughs> so I, I grew up in a very small town of Winfield, Kansas, population of probably 10,000 in, um, again, very small, um, and the library wasn't massive. And so the collection, the art collection books weren't massive as well. So one of the books that stood out to me was, was a Renaissance um, book, you know, and that's kind of traditional. And um, I can see in a small little town. And one of the artists that I really kind of was drawn to was a Bougarou. Mm -hmm. And so um, late, um, uh, late 1800s. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a realist painter, and I think he had some pieces they showed at the Friss. And so uh, very hyper real, but I was just so fascinated by the his technical skill that I thought, wow, someday I would love to paint that way. Um, and yeah, I, I would have to say he was a he was a big one for me. I mean, later on in school, you know, you start to learn more about other artists. But being from a very small town, that's not something, you know, you, you, you know, maybe you're from New York City. I mean, you're going to get that museum, the gallery, that experience that somebody from little Kansas is not going to get. So um, the other artists when I was in undergrad, um, one of my teacher introduced me to Arshal Gorky. And I was able to read up on him a bit more. I had a lot of teachers who came out. I always like to say the California artists, they were like 60 some, they're all hippies and we're all making abstract expressionist artwork. And so I was really drawn to Arshad Gorky because he was somebody who, you know, came from um, a different country and immigrated and, you know, and, and so I was really drawn to his stories and the way that he utilized colors. And so I feel like with my own work, I've kind of gone 360 because mm -hmm. um, in grad school, they really push you conceptually. And I honestly, right. I hardly like painted. A lot of my work were sound and installation, some performance mm -hmm. and sculptural pieces. Yeah, right. And, um, <laughs> and so um, so I've, I've really uh, 
have gone to like the the core of what I loved as a kid, mm-hmm. which was painting again. So, um, so you experimented in college. I did. I'm exactly <laughs> right. Um, who didn't? Um, but yes, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. So you're, they, so you're saying a little bit about growing up. Now, yeah. uh, now I told you I would do this. I told you that I would apologize oh. for the fact that I, <laughs> right. I said I said that your that I described your story as right. a refugee story right. this, some of the stuff that informs your art right now and, which is correct and you're you're a you you were born in cambodia is that right no you were no. not born in cambodia that's the part that i got wrong <laughs> yes okay. Uh, okay so tell like let's fill okay. people in for real okay well i was born in laos <laughs> okay. and um was in the refugee camp in thailand oh, oh, for two I see, years I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and then um and then when i was four we immigrated to kansas uh, but okay. yeah okay okay what so, year was that um well from Laos to Thailand would be 78, yep. well, actually 76 to 78, yep. and then 78 to 80 okay. was in Thailand. That was a big, yes. I mean, obviously yes. that was a big time. Yes, because, I mean, my, definitely. My mother was a lifelong English as a second language yeah. teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that time, especially okay. like that was... right. Uh, so I, I got she had some work. Yes, yes <laughs> yeah. she did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This was and so was the when your family left, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. guys were basically driven out because there was an illegal bombing happening by the American forces during the Vietnam War. Is that right? Um, well, uh, how the, connected? How connected are you to all that? Well, stuff? my dad was a doctor and uh-huh. he worked for the Red Cross. So uh-huh. anybody who was affiliated with mm-hmm. Americans was mm-hmm. pretty much you better get the hell out of Dodge. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was a Kansas reference. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you learn that later. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so we we had to leave, or else uh-huh. they, you know, um, put you, you know, reformed you, and mm-hmm. um, so so yeah, so mm-hmm. so, I mean, the war, you know, just uh-huh. just was over not too long ago, and with the Pat that Lao and the communists, I mean, right. people were affiliated with anybody. You mm-hmm. you just left, right. yeah, you, yeah, and yeah. and it was scary. I mean, mm-hmm. we were shot at you know mm-hmm. crossing the mekong river into mm-hmm. the thailand border and one of the things when i went back i've been back a couple of times to laos and one of my aunts still say to me that you cried so hard when they took your father away from you after we crossed the mekong river to thailand to the refugee camps that they put him in jail and they put us in jail or wherever they put us um and then they said that i cried the whole night to ask for my father. I'm the youngest mm-hmm. of seven. And so they basically like, we either shoot her in the head or let release her father. Mm-hmm. And they released my father. Mm-hmm. Um, so then wow. I I stopped crying. And so, I'm, but I don't think they were like, you know, lying about it because they were very definitely like, if you were not crying, they would have not let him go. And uh-huh. that was a very poignant wow. kind of, you know, moment, I think in, in our family where yeah. um, he ended up um, in the camps in, the Nongkai camps in Thailand, um, uh, being the doctor and working in the hospital. Uh-huh. But you would think that his job was, you know, amazing and he, he, uh, received a lot of money, but we didn't, my brothers end up like selling ice cream mm-hmm. and, you know, and they, and I still remember just, just being so small. I remember it melting. We would get the leftovers of the <laughs> ice cream and, uh, and I went back a couple of years ago on my sabbatical to go visit Nankai. And I knew it wasn't there anymore. I mean, there was, you know, like 40,000 refugees who were there, not just Laotians, but um, Vietnamese and, and other, um, the, the uh, other groups were there as well. And so, um, 
You know, now it's a it's an area that is mainly um, taken over by the um, what are they uh, kind of like the the army or whatever there. Um, and so they've taken over this huge area. It's very kind of militaristic. Uh -huh. And so um, it's kind of like a base. It's kind of an odd rural area. I, I had this guy who actually took me around everywhere. He was on a tut tut and we would go everywhere. He actually, because I speak Laotian, mm -hmm. And it's right near Laos. There's a very similarity in terms of the language, so we could speak to each other. And um, but yeah, it was it's, it was very surreal. I mean, I wasn't expecting anything, but I wanted to go back and just see the place that you know we were at for two years. Um, I mean, there was no like a sense for me because being so young that you know the closure. It was just like, oh wow, you know, now it's a, a an area that's just filled with trees and you know and these people are living on the side still they're cooking on the side you know you you yeah it, it was surreal, it was yeah. very surreal. it's like you're going back to sort of make it real but it's yeah, not there exactly but it's still real right you never right. really got to like no uh, yeah sort of contain it yeah. in, in a way that makes it real right it, it's it's a very odd because i was so young that you know my brothers would tell me the stories of us living because there's people don't know about it but there's different kind of levels of being at a camp like that so mm -hmm. you start up really in a crappy area we would live next to feces and mm -hmm. you would eat whatever the hell you could find mm -hmm. you know and then and i'm so i think I've just kind of pushed it back in my own memory to not remember. Mm -hmm. um, but my brothers and them, they don't like to talk about it. You mm -hmm. know, my family, they're not interested in opening up the wounds and mm -hmm. speaking about how horrible conditions we were living Isn't in. Isn't also a bit cultural? What is? In terms of just like... Talking uh, about stuff? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's my only... Well, yeah, I would say so. I mean, the the Laotian community, you know, um, I mean, they'll talk about certain things, but... I mean, I only found out like two years ago, my mom was telling me because she was sick that, uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny now, but she was like, did you know that our family actually, they would, um, they would create the textile, like, you know, like for us, maybe like cotton or whatever, they would sell it to the farmers. They would actually from the farmers would give them opium and we would actually sell the opium. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you mean we were drug lords, you know? And, and so those stories, and you have to really sit with the elders who really get them to even talk to you. But when I went to Laos for my sabbatical, I was trying to get all these folklores and folk tales. And because it's such a, um, what do they call that when it's all, it's not written down, yeah, but like oral tradition, or, thank right? you. Yeah. Oral tradition. And so nobody wanted to talk to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I spoke fluent Laotian. I'm like, yeah. I'm Laotian. Tell me yeah. about the folk tales. They're like, we don't remember us. Like really, you yeah. know? And so, yeah, it, it's very, it's a hard nut to crack. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. They don't trust you, yeah. you know? You're, it's funny how, yeah. When you're the other yeah. Uh, in your, yeah. Well, it, and it's very different. So, you know, we talk about diaspora and uh -huh. things like that. Um, and and it, it's so true. I'll go back and they'll think of me as a foreigner, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm here, I'm still a foreigner. And mm -hmm. so it's not being whiny. It really is a, a disconnect between two cultures and you're right. trying to fit within both 
because that's what you are, but yeah. in a sense, you'll never fit in either. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had, uh, do you know Naveen Barwari? I've heard of her. She's yeah. working with one of my, kind of, oh. my students. Over my, in, yeah. In yeah. 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 So when she was on, I mean, she's another artist who's based in, she used to be in Nashville. Now she's mm-hmm. at, uh, at University of Knoxville. Okay. But uh, her and uh, uh, her friend, uh, Bezar. Yeah. She uh, was my student. Oh, Bezar yes. was. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. So, but yeah. they're both Kurdish. Right. Right. And they came on the show. Yes. Uh, just Specifically, Nuveen came on the show okay, okay. and they talked about the, I'm, I'm mixing things up because I actually interviewed both of them for an article that I wrote, but, okay. but they, uh, they talked all about the experience of being a third yes, culture kid yes. and like, you yes. know, like they relate to the mm-hmm. other you mm-hmm. know, uh, Kurdish kids in yes. Nashville, but they all, they all relate to the fact that it's like, we just don't fit in. Yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Like, uh, we, we, yeah, we don't, this stuff doesn't fit in no, at home and right. the home stuff doesn't yes. fit in at school. Yes. And da, da, da. I think that's why Bezar really connected with me as a student mm-hmm. and really pushing her and telling her stories and not being afraid to, you know, open up and become part of that conversation because it's very easy, you know, um, someone from another country to just, not dismiss it, but it's easier mm-hmm. sometimes to just not mm-hmm. talk about it. And what is right? what is Bezar's uh, Bezar Aradini? Is that uh, correct? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. There mm-hmm. go. Look it up, people. Yeah. Look it up. <laughs> so, so uh, by the way, what, yes. this is a weird thing. Uh, but when you were talking about, uh-huh. there was something really visual to me when you were talking about being a child uh, selling the ice cream. My brothers were selling ice cream. Yeah, I was too young. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's okay. Yeah, I was waiting for the melted leftovers. <laughs> but this vision of uh, this sort of like melted ice cream right. being like kind of like the prize yes <laughs> like, like, for whatever reason there was something about when you were talking about Gorky oh Arshile mm-hmm. and then you were talking about the melted ice mm-hmm. cream I was like Gorky kind of reminds yeah, me yeah. of like melted yeah. ice cream <laughs> oh well he had such a tragedy in his life um, yeah. and he's Armenian yeah. um, and I know I remember reading his biography for my drawing class I was like oh my god you know it's like one fire and it's one horrible thing after another and I thought you know that's kind of like me and mm-hmm. so um, so I really connected with yeah. him you know so, so with respect to like your earliest sort of maybe the thing that kind of flipped the switch uh-huh. for you was you know maybe renaissance work and right. then some of these others you've mentioned but i don't i mean i could be completely uneducated or wrong yeah. but i don't immediately catch that when i see your work right so uh there had to have been some other uh coming in between or influence mm-hmm. or experience or mm-hmm. something that sort of leveled you to the to the the style and maybe you joe you can also help our listeners just here we are like podcast let's talk yeah. about art so now you can just describe <laughs> perfectly um well, why don't you why don't you answer the question first and then i'll jump in because there's well, a, I have, there's okay. another thing i want to That's e- okay. explain okay. slash apologize for so 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 let me go let me this is um joe sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's okay joe um get Ask me your, like, what's your question? I guess my question is sort of like, it's a long walk between the earliest things that you sort of spoke okay. of that were sort of, uh, that ignited your, your interest okay. versus sort of what you're actually producing in mass now. Mm, and mm, so, okay. The, and, and That's, okay. I so get I don't it. know if it's cubism or if it's Brock or if it's some kind of, I don't yeah. know. Like what, yeah. what, I'm not saying everything right. has to be based on influences because you're you. I hate, yeah. I hate that kind of thing, especially from a music well, perspective. I can't stand it. We it's don't like, live in a vacuum. You're right. You're also like, <laughs> you know, but everything's. Yeah. Uh, uh, related. So I guess I'm just curious about sort of uh, whether it was an experience or an influence or uh, happening right. of some kind, like what got you to sort of into this place that you are now 
about doing what you're doing now. Okay. Um, Well, I I think I spoke a little bit about earlier, maybe a little too quick, but um, I initially was a biochem major for a year in school. And I switched to art because I've always made art. And so it was something for me that I uh, I used as therapy because my house was crazy. Um, <laughs> and it was better than killing someone. Um, but anyway, so I went back in terms of talking a little bit about my influences with my professor. So I had one, I took two photography class and his name was Pak Chi, amazing photographer, uh, Chinese. Um, and so he, he was a big influence. And then I had Norman G and um, he was also, he was Chinese. It was kind of amazing how some of these mentors that I had. Um, and so, and then I had some of the painters who were very abstract expressionists and things like that. So, I started out that way. I started, I, I created large, massive works. I, I took as many sculptor, uh, sculpture classes as I did painting classes. I had the love for fibers as well. My mom was a weaver. And so in a sense, I took weaving classes and really loved the tactile quality. So going from there to graduate school, giving a little bit of a timeline, um, I, I still created sculpture. I, I was still was making stuff that about identity and my culture and that disconnect. But my work has always been a bit political. Um, even in undergrad, um, some of those pieces that were reflecting my identity as a as a female and Asian and the and the stereotype of being um, submissive. And so um, some of my pieces, you know, I made installations about the disconnect with my parents and, and their relationship to um, coming over and coming here and working their butts off and really not having any time for me at all as being the youngest. Um and so in, in grad school, I really, uh, one thing I tell my students is not to have a baby in grad school, even though it's the cheapest, okay? Um, so, uh, so my work primarily, like I said, was installation and I kind of quit making paintings per se. And it could be just because of grad school, because grad school really pushes you in materials. And um, so I was making sound pieces. And so going now to what I'm doing now, I met Chanapa, um, uh, she is the uh, she's the founder of Legacy of War. And I was asked about three years ago to go to a Lao Rider Summit. I was like, oh, God, what is that? So the bunch of Laotians who riding. I've never heard of them because, again, you have to imagine I grew up in a very small town of Kansas where there weren't a ton of Laotians. There were enough, but we weren't in Wichita where there were more Laotians. And it's not like here. You actually have tons of Laotians who are in Smyrna and Nashville. Um so when I heard of this and one of the guy who's a poet, he, who um, uh, emailed me and was like, you know, I really have been looking at your work and didn't know that you were out there. And so he's like, submit your work, come out to this, this um, Lao Rider Summit. I said, okay. And so I went out and then I heard her talk about Legacy of War and she's the founder of it. And it just moved me and went from, you know, I went, her story was initially was I, she's in Washington, D.C. She said she went up to the congressman, whoever you have to talk to, you get more money um, to um, get rid of the bombs in Laos. Um, she said, she asked the question as, why is it that we only have, and I, this is terrible, like maybe a million dollars to get rid of, you know, the bombs in Laos. And he goes, why can't we have more? And his answer was, well, nobody's asked for more. And so, I mean, in that sense that, and this has only been like 10 years or something like that. And I, the landmines? Yes. Yeah. So, um, and so that for me was so poignant, like her, and she's a small little lady, you know, and she's speaking with such, um, 
um, volume um, and, and just being able to tell that story. And for myself, my parents never talked about that. I didn't know much about that. And if you, as well as I do, know about history and being taught, you don't get taught everything. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is you don't get talk, talk, uh, taught about the secret war in Laos. I mean, mm-hmm. who the hell knows about that? So many right? people that they still don't even yeah, understand that, no, that Nobody knows. So I feel as though, so my work has changed in that sense to go back to why are you doing the things you're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it's, it's fairly still abstract because I didn't want it to be so literal. But I think with the work right now, um, with some of the pieces going to the museum in Minnesota and other museum shows I've had, that I really want to be a bit more literal with my work. And, and it almost becomes a little bit more like educating the public versus mm. it just becoming a disconnect because abstract work can just be, how do you feel about it? Right. Mm. Um, so some of these bomb pieces that I make, the bomblet pieces, um, the sculptural pieces, I, I wanted people to feel and see really how it looks like mm-hmm. um, because you can talk about it, right? Um, but if you've never felt one or if you've never seen one, mm-hmm. there's a disconnect automatically. Mm-hmm. And those sculptures that you're talking about, you've got you've got this the, the know, box a, a, pieces, a, a couple mm-hmm. of boxes yeah. that are part of the display yeah, tinny right mm-hmm. now, and those are uh, small cluster bombs, right? They Is are. There? They are. And so those are they're about the size of a baseball. They Pretty have much. little fins on mm-hmm. them so that when they fall through the sky, yep. they start to spin. Correct. Yep. Right. And those mm-hmm. things and the way that they're painted right. in your show, yeah. they look like they look like yeah. the funnest toys in the right. world. Right. Well, that's and, the whole point. Right. And so the, those things, yeah. those things were dropped by the by the millions. Yes. So 270 many, million. Yeah. And so nowadays to this day, yes. little Unreal. kids will still find yeah. unexploded yeah. cluster bombs, mm-hmm. pick them up. Exactly. They're going to play with the toy exactly. and lose an arm. Well, or Matt, die. if any if people are listening, mm-hmm. there's 80 million left. And if you put it per capita to Tennessee, honestly, most of Tennessee would be filled with these and mm-hmm. so if you don't get any like sense of not not like i don't even want to say sympathetic but if you don't understand what that really means i right. mean i have two girls i can't imagine them going outside finding these little bomblets mm-hmm. that are and i i made them colorful because the ones who get maimed are these little kids who right. are not thinking they're like oh it's a ball i'm gonna pick it up and right. they're and and it's, it's even worse pace. than dying mm-hmm. because you're maimed and then mm-hmm. now you've got to take care of these kids who are handicapped and right. it's I, I really think it's worse so yeah. yeah yeah it's it's a really strong piece and i think i think too it's like one of those things where um you know people like like you're saying this is something that happened you know during the vietnam war right uh and and it was you know extra i mean the right. vietnam war itself was you know was already like a weird like quote unquote oh police my gosh. action you yes know, where we didn't declare war right. and all this kind of Stuff. Right, but then this is like even beyond like what the Congress right. knows about and things like yes. this, and it's like right. we're going to illegally also bomb the hell yeah. out yeah. of this neighboring country. Yeah. It's it's an insane tragedy, and it's like you say, it's even more of a tragedy that it's like I, there's I bet you there's tons of people listening to this right now who don't have any idea that there was another war right. happening during the Vietnam War. Right. Well, I, I think it's also amazing that it's the 45th anniversary for the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and um, they were. I mean, one of my pieces, basically every eight minutes for 24 hours, for nine years, 270 million bombs, Mm -hmm. these bomblets are scattered everywhere. Mm -hmm. Think about that, right? Mm -hmm. And so the people who live there, they're just used to the bombs going off. They're like, oh, another one, right? And Mm -hmm. then we just hope this will just end. So some of the, the documentaries that there's a, a, an amazing, the people I'm working with, uh, they're called seed and it's called the Southeastern 
Southeast Asia diaspora, and they're mm. in Minnesota, and it was started by um, Chanita um, Potter, and she um, started the. <laughs> I always like to say it, the little louse on the prairie. <laughs> and um, she started the blog, but now it's really grown. Yeah. And what they've done is basically uh, have Laotians um, write in or, or call in to tell their stories. So they are collecting all these amazing stories. And to be honest with you, it's not too different from my own story. Mm -hmm. um, there's another one in Philadelphia, um, and it's ran, uh, uh, run by Katzi. Um, uh, she'll probably kill me. I forget her last name, but Katzi and it's called um, Laos in the House. And she, yeah, and they're very involved <laughs> with is, the community. Is, I know, I know, but so but, I, but I love that because it like it allows people to remember that, right? Mm -hmm, totally. uh, and it's silly, but yet you know it's 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 part of our culture, even because we're Americans, yeah. right? Um, so I think I think that's fascinating. Yeah, totally. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. It, I hate things like that where it's where things are act horrible and incomprehensible in magnitude and frequency. <laughs> right? Like like where you you can't wrap your brain no. around it. No. You can't. Mm -hmm. And and I, I understand in a way how it well, it's also a testament to sort of how adaptable we are, right? Exactly. Because the idea that that can be uh, the daily reality for mm -hmm. people yeah. and and somehow that just, you know, becomes this norm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say yeah. the other thing I wanted to bring up that I got wrong when I was writing about okay. your work. More, more, apologies, <laughs> more apologies. Was please. the fact that, and this is, this is like, you know, another thing where it's like, you know, uh, I, I don't always get the opportunity to, I almost, it depends on what I'm doing. In this case, when I'm writing my crawl space column for uh -huh, the scene, uh -huh. which is like a preview for the <clears throat> first Saturday in Nashville when all these ex exhibitions open, not all of the exhibitions in Nashville, but a, a lot of exhibitions mm -hmm. open on Correct. the first Saturday and the ones that are already open will have receptions on first Saturday, even if they've already been open for a month. Um, so I write a column for the scene that's that, you know, every month previews this for people out of town who don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, but in those cases, it's always a thing where it's like, I've got a press release, I've got some images and I'm, you know, doing my best mm -hmm. to sort of like peer into the void and say like you sh you gotta see this show or maybe I don't write about it because it doesn't seem right. special or right. maybe I write something that sort of seems to be correct <laughs> but I don't really know until right. Saturday and I usually walk into places and I see them and I'm like oh thank god I was you know somewhat correct <laughs> about this one yeah. um, but when I saw your show the, f the, f the very first thing that struck me was the fact that I, I said something that you know made a deal about the fact that yeah She's always making like these massive paintings, and there are there are some big works in the there show. There are, there's but some. I would say the vast majority of the show, collections yeah. of small lots paintings. of tiny paintings. They were. <laughs> it's true. And I saw all these tiny yeah. paintings. I was yeah. like, God damn, yeah. sis one. <laughs> just like left, like just like a, it was just like a curveball. Yeah. I'm just like whiffing yeah. at it. <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, I, I but did. But how did you end up making so many smaller paintings? Because like well, lately you've done these really yeah. large yeah. shaped canvases, right? It's it's been busy yeah. um and so you know i i made those pieces for the hunter museum okay and so uh she asked us uh to make pieces that were new and and that weren't old and so i thought okay well you know i really want to push 
the larger piece that I made for mm-hmm. the airport and you helped right. install that. That's and right. I, yeah. and I do appreciate you writing, you know, a critical review. I appreciate that. Even if it's wrong, but I appreciate that. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's been busy and my mom passed away a year and a half ago. So, um, thank you. So it was, um, it was just a lot, you know, it's just really heavy. And, uh, um, so I took, a little break but not i i was making those little pieces um uh, both form of uh therapy but i was uh, they were modular so i could take them with me i'm also a dance mom mm-hmm. and so i've got all these titles under me and mm-hmm. you know i stay very busy and mm-hmm. Those pieces, honestly, I was giving the talk during the first Saturday that they, they started out as something that I could take with me. Aaron Anfinson and I, one of my colleagues, mm-hmm. um, we uh, created something I call SUMA, which really maybe it fits in with your art fight club. But it's an acronym for shut up and make art because um, <laughs> we don't really have time to always talk uh-huh. about making art. And so when we can get together for a few hours, that's what we do. We, mm-hmm. we just make these work. So I picked up some of these pieces that were left over from my larger paintings and I'm a bit of a hoarder. So I kept them and I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll start collaging on them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the magic of art making happens is mm-hmm. that you're just playing. And that's what we yeah. initially, why we start to make work, you know, mm-hmm. or, or the love for art. How about that? Until then you get into criti- uh, critical discussion and theories. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes that could knock you back down right mm-hmm. a couple notches um but yeah so i started making those pieces because it was practical and the other thing is so i i quit making the larger ones um for now because they took so long but um but i'd love to make more of them mm-hmm. and um i don't know did you see the other piece that was around the corner did you see yeah, I saw oh good I saw okay okay <laughs> well i just think i call it the egg painting uh-huh. you saw the egg painting mm-hmm. or the um and so that was one of the big pieces and I thought you know I don't need to make a large piece for this and mm-hmm. and then I was dedicating my time a, li- a bit more to my family mm-hmm. and so um, we took the trip to New York City I was like oh shit we're gonna go to New York and now I've got a show and I told them I'll never do another show um, right after Christmas and then the semester oh, right. was over yeah. it was stupid um, oh yeah 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 it didn't, it didn't occur to me that that <laughs> was like right after the holidays yeah, and everything yeah. yeah so it was it was a little maddening mm-hmm. um, and how much does that you know when you walk in the yes. door on the left, yes. there's that that huge grid yes. of small paintings. Yes. How, many, how many small paintings are there? In so that those grid? represent 80. So I was going for the 80 million bombs that oh, okay. are yeah. um, symbolizing the it's 80 a, million that are still. It is. It is. Um, Next, you should yeah. make 80 million really small paintings. Right, right. <laughs> I, yeah, that might be as my grounds for divorce or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I. Have you seen it, <laughs> honey? <laughs> 80 million of them. No, I. I I think I would have to get into the Ai Weiwei kind of mentality and start hiring people. I want custody of everything yeah. but those yeah. paintings. Exactly, yeah. exactly. If but, those, those, uh, those bad yeah. crits can get some extra credit <laughs> painting some of these things I, for you. It's a good question, but I, I always like to tell my students and even for myself is small, medium, large. You can't always make large pieces, you mm-hmm. know, you have to be a bit practical about it and there's always deadlines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately all work of any kind should be an accurate 
cultural reflection mm-hmm. of where you are. If you're mm-hmm. in a small space and you yeah. don't, or you know you're in a dense city, yeah. then you're gonna create things that are like that. If right. you're in an open place and you have a basketball right. gym to work in or something, yeah. then you know I don't know. So I've, I feel like there's an inherent honesty that you just have to have mm-hmm. with, with that, as opposed mm-hmm. to sort of trying to imagine that right. you're someone or something else somewhere else. But yeah. one of the questions I had real yeah. quick is um. Uh, and this is coming from a sort of lame brain person who can't paint, but uh, <laughs> I know that there is sort of a historic sort of contention or mm-hmm. not a contention, but kind of a an ongoing, um, I don't know, sort of reconciliation with this. This is very with, with the notion of subject with the painting as an uh, being an object versus some, you know, how do I, let me back up and say this again. You got pictures that are framed and they have a clear subject and maybe the sides of the canvas are not important, right? Mm-hmm. And then as you get in more to the center, mm-hmm. conventionally, there's a subject or some point of view. Whereas like maybe with the abstract expressionists, they became more concerned with things being sort of, uh, or approaching things more as sort of objects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that your, your pieces are very much uh, I mean, wildly sort of objects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, have you had a, a sort of a a reconciliation with the notion of sort of a subject in your work? Like, like in the sense that like when, when you're first making music or something, you're like, oh, it's got to have a beat. If it doesn't have a beat, it's not a right, song. Right. Otherwise, you're just like noodling or it's mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then there's other schools that are like, you know, there's a lot of freedom without yeah, those yeah. confines of, right. of patterns right. or obvious sort of points right. of attachment for the viewer or the listener or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, you know, like when you're talking about Renaissance work, right? Like it's, right. A, it's a portrait of right. a person and it's this mm-hmm. re- readily identifiable mm-hmm. thing. Whereas, uh, you know, uh, and the frames were, you know, whatever, like you know, I think of like Rococo type stuff or, you know, what like uh, gilded or, you know, whatever. That was all part of this kind of accessorization of the thing. Whereas uh, it, over time, like the the painting became it, the totality of the painting. Mm-hmm. It became the edges, mm-hmm. the, the, the whole thing. Right, it's not right. just like a subject on paper. Well, or I, I think if you're going back to like the Greenberg mentality of being a theorist right, or a critic, I mean, you might know more than I do. Um, but I, I feel as though that there's so many answers to that, but I think it's very subjective and whoever you're t- talking to and whatever school you're talking to. Right. Um, I think that's why I'm kind of drawn to the abstract expressionist initially, both because I was introduced to it in such an early age. But the other thing is that I always like to say, you know, when you look at a myelin in Washington, D.C., and you see the piece that is going into the ground and it becomes this V and you've got a list of names. And then not too far away from that, you've got an amazing bronze sculptural piece of a soldier. And I feel as though that you really can't create a piece. And I say that in a, you know, I mean, you could, it'd be like a David painting, right, with the soldiers attacking each other. Um, but for my piece in general, if you're asking about where it's coming from, it really does come from the gut, you know, in terms of really thinking about the volatile nature of, of the war, how are people feeling about it, the disconnect that happens. Um, there's no real words. And I feel like as someone who I'd say I'm a pretty decent painter, I could paint classically if I wanted to, that I don't think right now at where I'm at, uh, creating an image that just says, oh, this is what happens, really, really allows for, I think, my viewer to get the sense that I get where 
I still get that is this, it really is kind of discombobulating. It really is this sense of um, not, not finding root. And, and, and I have friends who are like, but you've been here for like 40 years, Sisavan. And you're like, it's not the same. It's generational. It's, it's cultural. It's generational. Yeah. You can't just paint that. You yeah. know, you can't just paint that. I think it's interesting because you're in this sort of first kind of wave. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it makes sense. Like when you were talking about your family, you know, mm-hmm. and how they didn't talk about yeah. what they'd been through. You know, I, I feel like that there's got to be something about that that informs your sensibility in that way. Because to be literal right. and to just tell the story right. visually right. Um, is... For you, it's always been, especially because you were so young, There, it's always been a, a bit of a an abstraction probably around a lot of your feelings and yes. thoughts and remembrances yes. around it right. uh, or, you know, memories around it. So, I don't know. I just, I'm just trying no, to... No, no, no. I mean, that's a good question. And one of the show, the Minnesota show is called the 1.5 and it's called Scattered. And the 1.5, I don't know if you know anything about that, but basically they are people who have immigrated to, from another country to wherever and that... Um, they are between four to like uh, middle school age. So you you came here, but you weren't you were born there, but you came here at a later age. So then you have a because you're not a first generation, right? You're not a second generation. So what you are is a 1.5, which is more like written for Hispanics and things like that. And I thought that is such, and I, I didn't know anything about that until Tanita was talking about the 1.5 show. I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I am, you know? And, and I guess to fit into a certain way of, of not only thinking, but emotional ties that you have with it. And I was very angry with my culture growing up. I was one of those kids who was very stubborn. I wasn't supposed to sit on my father's lap while the men were eating in the front room, most of the women. And it wasn't like they didn't like the women. That's a cultural thing. When people came over, the women went out and gave them the drinks and blah, blah, blah. My dad would have these meetings or, you know, um, we would eat in the back only till to till Today, when I go back home, I almost feel a little weird about sitting with my brothers and having a, a beer <laughs> um, because normally that's not what you do. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in that kind of environment and I was a very angry child. I was like, what the hell? Why can't I go into the <laughs> temple in a certain area just because I bleed because I'm not pure? So mm-hmm. I, was, I was very kind of upsetting as a kid. And uh, I'd like to say maybe in undergrad, I really um, started to like asked my parents question. I did a whole piece about my dad and before he died for a photography um, class. And I, I made this whole installation because they were all about wrestling. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, this go back to your art fight club. Um, and yes, I took Taekwondo right. in undergrad and I played the violin. So there you go. Very so, Asianist. So you kick someone in the head. I, well, I spar. How about that? <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to that, you know, it was just, a lot of uh, cultural issues and you know and and a lot of the kids today and I like to say kids who are maybe first generation Mm. there's a total disconnect you know Mm. and and I think in terms of now I I appreciate who I am but it's taken a long time to feel comfortable in my own skin and say yes I'm Laotian I'm proud of that right Mm. Laos in the house little Laos in the prairie you know (laughs) I mean seriously it's and it's it's Laos of pain right Laos of pain Um, but yeah and so and I love that they're preserving the culture Uh yeah yeah I have a question for you yeah Um, since you're sitting here and we're podcasting hey um what are you the worst at 
Yeah. What am, what's oh. the hardest thing? What's the worst thing? What do you try to avoid? Writing? <laughs> no, I mean like in, I, inside inside painting and and oh and inside art. painting. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, having two critiques back to back. The first thing I say to my students: the hardest thing to do as an artist is to s- decide what the hell to paint. Um, your subject matter, your idea, your concept, because that then leads itself in terms of process, right? Your concept, I believe, should dictate what you do with your work. And so that's why my work got bigger. I was like, you know, I, I don't want to be quiet about it. I'm not I'm not going to be apologetic, you know, but I'm not also going to point fingers and say, it's your fault and it's your fault because my country is bombed, right? And so um, in terms of what... I, you know, it's always about what the hell to paint. Um, uh, if, if you're asking something specific, I would, my husband's a sculptor. And so, uh, and I make sculpture, but um, I always like to tell my students that uh, the other day we're in the wood shop and said, we're not building furniture because painters are naturally kind of sloppy. Mm-hmm. And so technically, how about that? I'm not the most... You know, that's so funny that you say that. Perfect like, technical you person. Just see her work it's, and it's, it's like yeah. these lines are like perfect. <laughs> it it's is. called tape, Joe. Tape. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. But you do you do you build those canvases? Yeah, that you, yeah. I, mean, I, I help them build tight. it. I was kind tight. I always kind of get irritated. I installed this well, work. Thank and I can you. Tell you thank you. Pretty flawless. Well, I I do help. I always hate it when somebody says, "Well, your husband made it." I was like, "No, B." I said, "I." Don't make that, you know, and yeah, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, that's funny that you say that. Maybe it's more challenging for you, but the results are It is challenging. Good. It is challenging. <laughs> I don't have his very anal retentive and he, you know, he builds furniture. So there you go. Yeah. Right on. That's yeah. interesting. So you remind him constantly like, this is not art. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty good for a craftsman. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, well, so, yeah. Um, so what's, what's, uh, so the show will be up through the end of February. Is that yeah, correct? at Tenny. Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh-huh. And then do, is there anything coming up that you want to let people know yeah, about? Yeah, I have um, Catsy with um, Laos in the House in Philly. Is cre- uh, <laughs> has uh, I just submitted work for that show that she's putting together, and it's called um, Thank You But No Thank You. Mm-hmm. And it's addressing the issues of thank you for bombing my country, but no thank you because you bombed my country. <laughs> and so she is kind of a That's poet great. and amazing, um, what do you call that kind of word speak, uh, word spoken. Spoken word. Thank word, you. Yeah, yeah spoken that. word performer. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. And so I've, mm-hmm. I've seen her... Um, perform and she's just a wonderful person but yeah so that's she would love to have the the bomblet pieces in the show oh, yeah. um and then after that i have uh, another show in um central florida university mm-hmm. that's um it's about i forget the name i think i put it on my website but it's about um uh responding to war and so they have three other artists that's mm-hmm. with me um uh and then the minnesota show that will be up mm-hmm. in august for about four months right yeah on. and then I, the gatskins show next year so i'm, I'm busy <laughs> yeah no that's crazy yeah yeah oh, now, now if people will include your information and links and stuff but just so if listeners want to follow yeah. what you're up to where do they find you on um, social media and websites and stuff perfect place would be instagram on mm-hmm. sisavan putavong mm-hmm. um facebook oh. as sisavan houghton mm-hmm. and then uh, com. Okay. And so yeah. what that means, folks, is that we will put that in the show notes. <laughs> Spell right. it right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. We'll have links in the show notes. And um, there was something else I wanted to say. You, uh, 
Oh, what was I? I, I totally lost my train of thought about that. Some other apology? <laughs> no, no, I think I apologize. I had a list of apologies. No, no, you're fine. I, I don't take things personally. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, podcast yeah. has slowly become Joe's confessional. No, <laughs> poor Joe. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad to have you on. I'm Thank glad you. we had a chance to talk Thank about you the for show. Me. Oh, yeah, I, and I remember what I wanted to say, but <laughs> mm-hmm. just I, I really think that say like since the 2016 election, like right. again for people in our in our in our listenership who may Mm -hmm. or may not be following Mm -hmm. the art stuff as Mm -hmm. much as the fight stuff. Um, You know, I think that we've seen like the visual art world more than the music world even has sort of like jumped into the fray of like creating work that's responding to the political climate and things like this. And I think for my taste, Mm -hmm. much of it, has been not that good in terms of art, mm-hmm. even though the messages may be heartfelt. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, and I think I've, I think I've given you best of awards for this. I really honestly feel like of artists who are like specifically engaging like political messages, I feel like your stuff is like, so much better than most of it. Well, because, thank you. And I think part of it is just that I fi- I really feel like your work is like anti-war work. And and even though you have a specific story connected right, to it right. and a specific past mm-hmm. and a whole thing with your family mm-hmm. and your, your mm-hmm. countries right. and all this stuff uh, that informs it and makes it, you know, authentic and real right. and powerful. I also think that it's ultimately you're smart enough to create this bigger narrative that that sort of is just an anti-war message that right. I think is really powerful. And in a time when so many people are trying to do things like that, I think it's really exceptional that you're doing it as well as you are. So well, I'm glad I, I got to tell you appreciate that. that. Yeah, and if you, you can't see me, I'm, I'm blushing. Um, but yeah, we still do have a little bit more time for any compliments for us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're we amazing. Have time for that. The house looks great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the new, the, yeah. new, the new studio. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, thanks for everyone for listening. Make sure that you subscribe, share it with your friends, try to help us out because uh, we never ask people to do that. And whenever we actually do it seems like it actually has a, an effect so um, do it this is the only this is Joe and I's last hope for anything uh, of note that we can accomplish in our lives we're yeah. we, this is the only way we're going to be able to make any money or survive or anything we're fading fast like this is <laughs> this is this podcast is like a, a, a broken RV on the side of the highway with a lot of bad ideas and we're so mm. glad that you joined us for it uh, thank you Sister Von. thank you thank you for having me thank you Joe Nolan yeah. and thank you thank you I hope you feel better. Yeah, okay. I do. I do. I feel like a big burden's been lifted off <laughs> oh of my, my chest. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, peace out. Thank you. Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash artfightpodcast, click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast, and once you get there you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level, you're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and and help us out again anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast click on support this podcast all right thanks everyone